From Daylight, I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sayonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. On today's episode, we'll talk about the July trifecta in MLB, the All-Star Game, the Home Run Derby, and the Amateur Draft. Welcome everyone. Today is Friday, July 2nd, 2021. I'm Brandon Beiser. Kazuki Akiba, as always, is here with me. We have a new segment to start our show called Friends of the Podcast News. So we'll get into the baseball news in a quite in quick second. James Kalistra, one of our friends and avid supporters of this show, was on live with Kelly and Ryan at early in June and won one of their prizes for answering their daily trivia question. So congratulations to James. One of the people who has helped me get into being a podcast host, Finley Frechette, who was the host of Over the Goal Line, a podcast for the players, by the players at Cornell University for Cornell Women's Ice Hockey, graduated in May and was drafted in the National Women's Hockey League draft in the fourth round by the Boston Pride. This week also saw the conclusion of 500 Live with Jay Wolf. 500 was a game show podcast that Jay created with a bunch of just people that were fans of a podcast he worked on formerly. So congratulations to the teams that participated. Pearl Scouts, Nick Cage Fan Club, Wookie of the Year, Buffalo Cauliflower, the Hong Girls, If You're Not First, You're Last, Your Mom, our dear friend Juju, and everyone else on the nine-game season. Yours truly finished in fourth after a long season. Proud of myself for that one. And lastly, to our friends in Seattle, we have a special Seattle shout out for this week. Canless Restaurant, which is a restaurant on Lake Union in Seattle. It has a connection to me from my time there. Uh, in March of 2020, they completely shut down their dining room, as many restaurants did across the world. For 470 days, that restaurant came up with these most innovative and wild concepts. They had a barbecue, a crab shack. They had a yurt village in their parking lot. They had a flea market. They did virtual classes called Canless College. They have been supporters of a lot of things we've done in Seattle. They opened their dining room yesterday. For the first time in 470 days, they hired a new executive chef and she cut the top off and sabered a bottle of champagne as they opened the dining room. Congratulations to them. Lots of great news to start our show. And now into the baseball news which we have three stories in the baseball news. Two out of three of them are not good. We ended on the high note, but the first one is arguably the one that's literally going on right now. As we speak, Trevor Bauer is facing an assault investigation in Pasadena, California, first reported by TMZ, then additionally supported by reports by Chelsea James in the Washington Post. I will not recap the details. Because every article that we read, Kazuki and I have read several articles, the first line is, this contains graphic material. So to try to explain that on a podcast, I think would be just fruitless. If you can, the best articles to read are from The Athletic, CBS Sports, among others. The most recent one came from LA Times, great sports writer, Jorge Castillo. So what we know right now from this investigation 
He was scheduled to start on Sunday, July 4th in Washington against the Nationals. That start has been removed. He has been placed on the commissioner's paid administrative leave list, which is a maximum seven-day stay starting today, July 2nd, which means if everything goes with no updates, it means that he will come off the list, I believe, next Friday, right? Kazuki, he would come off. Yeah, he would come next, off next Friday. Friday. But we don't know that. There are a lot of details that are in the press online about this. So please, please read the articles that we have mentioned quickly and then go find your other information. The details, like I said, are graphic in nature. So just fair warning for our younger viewers and all viewers for that, all listeners for that matter. Right now, the Dodgers are planning on continuing their series in Washington with a new pitcher on Sunday. And that's kind of all we know from the baseball, like playing side. But the investigation, Trevor Bauer, is a hefty one and is going on, I think, fairly efficiently and fairly quickly right now to see what's going to happen. So we'll learn what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer. I'm going to go by the middle of next week at the latest. That, that's my guess. Uh, but that depends on the Pasadena Police Department is leading the investigation right now. Other news. Unfortunately, on a, again, a note, a topic we've talked about several times and gives us no pleasure discussing this. Jared Porter, who was ousted as the GM of the Mets for also creating an environment of inappropriate conduct and amid several assault and sexual assault investigations, has been banned from baseball, the place in eligibility list by the commissioner through the end of the 2022 season. So he cannot be in baseball until the 2023 season. That's it. That's all we, that's, we, we expected this to happen. He does, he definitely warranted a punishment for the actions that he created and the inaction that he did as the GM. So he's not on the ineligible list, but we end this segment with a very special and wonderful story. As some of you may know, I'm in New York city. In New York on Monday, the end of June, the first uh, was on Monday, the first game of the Angels series. Yep. First, first game, game, first game of the Angels series. The Yankees had a special night. I think it was called Hope. It was like, like the Hope Night. Uh, and they had an honorary Batgirl that night by the, by the name of Gwen Goldman. Gwen Goldman, when she was 10 years old, sent a letter to then commissioner, then GM of the Yankees, Roy Haney asking to be a Batgirl because she loves the Yankees. Anyone loves the Yankees. If you love the Yankees in New York, you pretty much are a diehard fan. She was told, and I quote, in a letter that she kept from that time in 1961, while we agree with you that girls are certainly as capable as boys and no doubt would be an attractive addition on the playing field, I'm sure you can understand that in a game dominated by men, a young lady such as yourself would feel out of place in a dugout. Now, today, that line just sits in a very icky, reprehensible manner. Her daughter resent the exact same letter and an update to the Yankees in June. Well, general manager and starting pitcher Garrett Cole called her and told her that she will be the honorary Batgirl for the first game of the series against the Los Angeles Angels. So on Monday night, she was introduced, Gwen Goldman, at the age of 70 years old, 50, 
60 years after her first letter, she was introduced as the Batgirl to a roaring applause at Yankee Stadium. So congratulations to Gwen Goldman and her family. As some of you may know, during that same game, uh, the I think the ambient temperature at uh, Yankee Stadium was somewhere around 104 degrees with the heat index. And the whole week in New York has been hard, but like one shining moment for Glenn Goldman, and we love it. So congratulations to her. The Yankees, not so much. On today's show, we'll go through our regular segments. In, our, in, our, in the cycle, we have a little update on foreign substances, quick one. Then we're going to get into the All-Star Game, the Home Run Derby, and a recap of June. We're going to then go into our highs and lows, tips of the caps, give them the hooks. I got Kyle Schwarber this week. Kazuki's got Shohei Otani. We spoiled them for you. For give them the hook, it's a little bit different for me, uh, but Kazuki's got, a, got another sticky substance update for our pitcher, which would be interesting. For our walk-up songs of the show this week, uh, in celebration of several things related to the great country of Canada, our friends to the north, we decided to pick three songs from Canada uh, that are either a good walk-up song or I particularly say one of them is a great song for like how people feel. Like, you know how like in when you're in a stadium and they play a certain song for like the Jeopardy theme song when they're like people a, a mound visit. This is a song I think it will fit in one of those type of venues. And then our extra engine segments, we're going to talk about the about a little bit prospect watch in terms of the draft. Just saw the end of the College World Series. Mississippi State Bulldogs won that. And then the Futures game was announced too, the rosters. So we'll discuss all that. Now we'll get into the cycle with our regular segments. First one is stories about foreign substances. So the guidelines went to place on June 21st. It's now July 2nd. What have we seen so far? I think most notably, the first thing that we saw was the theatrics of Matt Scherzer and Joe Girardi, right? That, that was the Philadelphia Phillies, Matt Washington Nationals game. In that game, because I believe it was three times Scherzer was checked. First time by the umps. And then was the second time the umpire or the second time Joe Girardi? And the Joe Girardi said after the fact in a press conference that the reason why they checked him the third time was he kept rubbing his hat or he rubbed like a part of his uniform that he normally would never do. Like Joe Girardi was inspecting him very closely. That's what he was doing. And, and obviously the theatrics made it all over. It was the first day too. It was the first day of all this happening. So that was a, that was not a very pretty look. Uh, the second one was definitely not a very pretty look. And that was Sergio Romo. I would say literally going to like a fitting room and undressing himself right in the, right in the field in Texas. Um, and I think he, he really emphasized it pretty hard. It's like, I am perturbed by this. Neither of them had any issue. Uh, but we did have the first ejection. And it's a confusing one, but I think as you read the rules, it makes perfect sense why he got ejected. In the Mariners doubleheader uh, this past Sunday, the end of June, at the first game, Hector Santiago was pitching for the Mariners. He's a journeyman pitcher, he's a left-handed pitcher. He was pitching in his third inning of work, and as he was being removed from the game by Scott Service, he was obviously inspected by the pitchers, by, by the umpires. And they looked at his glove and rubbed the heel of the glove very, very consciously. And they noticed that it felt very sticky. So they took his glove and put it and looked like what I would call like the medical grade bag. It looked like a plastic trash bag, but it looked like it has a special bag. They zipped it up, handed it to an, to an MLB official at the game. And Hector Santiago was ejected. 
he was being taken out, but he was being formally ejected and then was suddenly suspended for 10, for 10 days. The 10 days are 10 games. 10 games with pay. He then, in his post-game press conference, said that he used rosin, and he but he rubbed rosin on both hands. And I think that's where the, the rule indicator was the issue. You're not allowed to have the sub, any substances on your glove hand. And that's where he had something sticky in his glove. Even if it was rosin, you're not allowed, I don't believe you're allowed to even have anything on your glove hand. Because that basically creates the invitation that you're going to have something sticky on your hand. So I think that's where my issue was. I originally was like, why, is, why does it matter? It's rosin. But it was the glove hand. I believe it's still an appeal right now. Uh, but according to Daniel Kramer, who covers the Mariners for MLB.com, this is all occurring during a pitching change. So even if he was allowed to come back, and clearly wasn't anyway, but he was formally ejected. Uh, and then Jesse Rogers, who's ESPN's reporter in Chicago, confirmed that it was the heel, the glove heel had a sticky substance on it, which even rosin or not, you're not allowed to have it. That's kind of the only punishment we have related to that. Though we had another glove incident with Daniel Bard. Got a new glove. It's too light. The color. Asked to change it. It was a brand new glove, though. Not, not the Casey Mize incident that we talked about beforehand. So my, the, my question about this is, how much speculation can you have about what's going on? Because the stats say otherwise. I mean, you've seen... RPMs drop significantly. Batting averages go up. Hit balls in play go up. So early indications say this works. What do you think, Kazuki? I say it's kind of foolish. I think there should be checks, but the fact that for the Santiago case, they didn't even like look at it in the lab is kind of absurd because the rule said that if you're going to be inspected they're going to check the lab to make sure like like it is a foreign substance but the fact that they just trusted the umpire saying if the umpire says it you know he he did it illegally like it was wrong so therefore he gets suspended like i don't think that's totally fair because that means the ump could, could have some sort of bias and there's no even playing field if the ump is not in a good mood that day he could just eject anyone and then MLB won't like go forward with it. I, I understand what you're saying. I will play the counter position on this one and say, regardless of what the substance was, the fact that he had it on his glove hand, I think automatically rules him that he gets suspended. He's going to lose his appeal. I think that that's what's going to do it for him. So that's where I think we stand kind of on this until we have more stats. Um, people basically say, well, you can't check for five times a pitcher has come in since it'll happen. I was like, yeah, that's, you have a very small sample size right now for individual pitchers. You're going to show us an example with Garrett Richards later on that's going to be interesting. But the most important news in baseball in terms of, the, of what's to come from our title of the episode is All-Star Game, Home Run Derby, and Draft. We're going to start with the All-Star Game. So last night, July 1st at 9 p.m., we received a full starting lineup for each team. I will read through kind of my, my interesting picks for the and notes, and I'll let Kazuki respond to them. Full roster available at MLB.com and many other websites. Uh, Matt Kelly and Manny Rondahua posted the list on MLB.com. So for the American League, the big ones for me are the infield was split. Half Red Sox, half Blue Jays. And I think that's such a fun little just slap in the face every other team. Just because everyone's thought that the 
Blue Jays and the, the Red Sox would be bad. They're not. The Blue Jays would have a different picking that they did, but they got two different players. So it's Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first, Marcus Simeon at second, Devers at third, and Xander Bogarts at short. Mike Trout is in the outfield, though I believe he'll be replaced, but cannot be formally replaced until the full rosters are announced later this um, at the end of this weekend. So that's that's kind of where I stand for the for the American League, the National League. Adam Frazier of the Pittsburgh Pirates just sliding in as the second baseman. He, got, he beat out like Gavin Lux and like who I don't think he's I think he's injured. He can't even play. And it's just like an interesting like how would he even get in the, like the bracket for the finals to begin with? But it's great because Adam Frazier now is the talk of all trades for every team. Like we want second baseman. It's like Trevor's story talk is now completely like my like muted compared to Adam Frazier talk. It's Adam Frazier and Esco and Edwin Escobar now are your are your um, conversations about tradings for infield. But then in the outfield, Nick Castellanos who I remember he was a third baseman on the Tigers, just casually. And then Jesse Winker, who nobody talks about until he just started hammering home runs in the last couple of weeks. Good for him. Good for Cincinnati. I mean, that team is not in a great position right now. They're kind of middling, but those are my big picks. What, what do you think about the, the starting lineup? You know, the big one I really liked, uh, especially from the NL, Buster Posey uh, coming back to the All-Star game. Like he's been having kind of a middling uh, career in the 2010s after his uh, 2014 appearance. But now that he's hitting over 300 since, you know, first time since 2012, that's a pretty amazing feat. And he, and not to mention, he did not play last season. So the fact that he didn't miss a beat and beat out everyone, that's kind of a feat for me. Um, he's a standout. Obviously, Jesse Winker, I think he's super underrated. And him and Castellanos are playing MVP caliber baseball for Cincinnati. and. Without them, they don't have an offense, so good for them. And I do like the Adam Frazier pick, but the most peculiar one for me is Freddie Freeman. I don't know why he got the nod over Max Muncie, because statistically speaking, I don't think Freeman's having a great season while Muncie's having an amazing one. So that's slight bummer there, but it is a popularity contest, so can't say much about that. I just noticed that there is no Los Angeles Dodgers player starting in the lineup. Yeah, that's that that's interesting. Like you have so many good parts and obviously Clayton Kershaw is probably lined up to be the pitching star, the starting pitcher if all goes going to plan. But it's interesting. I will say that the Shohei Otani picked as a DH. I mean, come on. That's another good one. I like another one that that just warms my heart to a certain degree is Salvador Perez being the starting catcher for the um, the American League team. Is there any more recognizable catcher in the American League? Like, I, I, I honestly can't think of one off the top of my head just that really comes to mind is truly other than like Gary Sanchez. But Gary Sanchez has not had a all-star caliber year, though his month of June was quite good. Salvador Perez is probably the, the, the standard bearer for catching. Just like his state counterpart in Yadier Molina is for National League, though Buster Posey beat him out this year. That's it's just really nice to see that. I, I'm curious to see how they fill out the rosters, who will replace Mike Trout. That's the other layer to all of this. And then what and how they're gonna fill out the pitching. Like I believe the full rosters are announced about a week. So we'll learn more about this. And since we record every two weeks, we won't know yet. And we'll have a recap of the All-Star game on our next episode. But this is an interesting lineup. I mean, also, 
the just the cool part of the fact they have two sons of former big leaguers, one of which was an all-star. I'm not sure Fernando Tatis, how often Fernando Tatis, if he was an all-star, but I know Vlad Guerrero was for sure. You know what will be really interesting about this all-star game? I don't think there will be any DH at all for this all-star game, considering that Shohei Otani got into the all-star. I think my guess is he's going to pitch and hit. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? That'd be the first time, I obviously, in a very, very long time someone did that uh, as a true player who's played both positions. Uh, so that'd be fun. But also with Shohei Otani, we will move into our next topic. He's, he created this great video to say, I'm in the home run derby. The home run derby lineup has not been announced or has a bracket been announced. We have four confirmed participants. Shohei Otani, Los Angeles Angels, Trey Mancini, which is the best story out of the home run derby. Guys bat with battling cancer a year ago, and now he's going to be there in Colorado. And I believe probably to a very raucous applause when he gets up, gets up there to hit the ball because he hits the ball really hard in a very large ballpark in Baltimore. So I'm, I'm assuming he's going to do quite well, hopefully, in, in Colorado. Pete Alonzo, the polar bear, coming back uh, for his defending his title. And then the hometown kid, Trevor Story, Rockies player. Uh, maybe with a little bit of a swan song if he decides, if he doesn't get getting traded, but see how that goes. We know who's opted out. Tetis Jr., Aaron Judge, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Gary Sanchez, and Javi Baez. Not surprised by any of those opt-outs, really. I would have loved to see Vlad, but I think Vlad had his taste for a couple years ago. I was like, I'm done. Not really interested anymore. I think Fernando Tatis Jr., after what happened with his shoulder, is like not even interested, like trying to extend himself. Do you have any thoughts on, first of all, who's currently there and who do you think might be added to the list? I love all the people who's on there, like Trevor Story representing, you know, his home club. Like you always need a representative for the home club. So that's kind of cool. Shohei. You know, clearly it's going to be a party. I mean, look at him right now. He's hitting so many home runs. Uh, Alonzo, polar bear, obviously, you know, defending his title. That's great. I don't know. What What about Kyle Schwarber? Wouldn't he be fun? Or even Jock Peterson, you know, the Cubs. Kyle Schwarber would be interesting. Uh, I'm curious to see if the Nationals will let him do it. Um, and Jock Peterson had a terrible start to the season. And I think it would be the biggest, like, like show up moment against the Dodgers players that are there to do it. It'd be interesting to see him do it. I'm curious if Jesse Winker will go out and do it uh, because of what happened in the last couple of weeks. Or even any Henio Suarez, I think he'll be the best one because he's made for that type of swing. Do we have any notes on Annalise Garcia getting invited or not yet? Uh, I have not seen any reports I haven't seen about Garcia. Garcia. So I'm curious if he'll go. Um, I wonder if... Shohei Otani's teammate, Jared Walsh, will get invited just because it's an interesting question there. I would say if Christian Yelich was healthy and he was playing throughout the season, I think he'd be invited, but he's obviously not. I'm quite curious if anyone from the Giants gets invited. That was my thought in my, my head. Like anyone from the Giants of Crawford or um, somewhere along those lines. But I don't think they really have any dominant home run hitters. Like I look at like lines for home runs, like none of them really have like high yeah yeah that team is very interesting now like looking at it they're like second or third in home most home runs hit as a team but yet there's not really a standout power guys like brandon bell maybe but everyone it's just that everyone just hits like 
hit over 10 home runs already. Yaz already did. Right. And I mean, then, Yaz would have been cool if it was last year. But the flip of that is year. if you look at a team that's doing quite poorly but has great home runs, is the Twins. Miguel Sano and Nelson Cruz are easy invites if you want them. But team not doing great. So I don't know what's going to happen there either. Um, Byron Buxton was a, was a, on the final for the ballot for the the American League team. So that, that whole outfield was going to be represented somehow, I hope. But I don't know what's going to happen with anyone's going to bet. But we'll see. We we know there'll be four more participants. And then on Monday, the on Monday night when they have the derby, they're going to go for it. Early, early, early speculation. I think this is Shohei Otani's to lose. Uh after what after like when I watch his swing in the in the ballparks, even this when he came to Yankee Stadium and just unloaded that home run, that first one, I think the whole crowd just got really excited yet really quiet at the same time because they, they realized they're losing. But that was a mammoth home run. I mean, it, was, it sounded great off the bat. I'm curious to see what happens with all of them. I don't think Aaron Judge is going to go. I don't think any of them are going to So I think Shohei Otani is, I think it's a Shohei Otani's derby to lose, honestly. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, especially from that first Sunday night baseball game, like him like hitting a math, mammoth home run in Angel Stadium, which is way bigger than the short porch at uh, Yankee Stadium. That's just fun stuff to like watch. Like, oh yeah, um, and just as well, I, this is a great lead into the recap of June. Was home run city. I mean, June twenty twenty one in Major League Baseball was home run baseball. Obviously, that starts with Kyle Schwarber, and I'll have more about Kyle Schwarber in a little bit as I led up top with he's my pick for the tip of the cap for our episode. But what he did in June to mo to as a leadoff hitter to take the Nationals from somewhere that was not great really brought them out of kind of a I mean the NL East and so on is just not overly good. It's not terrible. I mean the Marlins are low, but the Nationals were not doing great, and he just motivational kick and just really went for it from June twelfth on. And I'll, like I said, I'll have more on that. And then travel by 95 into Maryland. We talked about him last episode, and we are now glowing about him. Cedric Mullins is the, I, I would call Cedric Mullins at least, hopefully, the AL MVP of, other than Shohei Otani, but I hopefully hope AL MVP for a terrible team is Cedric Mullins. Like, what he did in the month of June was just wonderful. Like he gave a team that is doing very badly a very, very bright spot. So I think that's something to really pay attention to. The home run leader war, trifecta of Acuna Jr., Guerrero Jr., and Otani is just fun. It's a lot of fun. Vlad had a 477 on-base finish for the month. Shohei Otani had a 1.3 OPS, a 900 slugging for the month. I mean, they're crushing home runs. Without, it's... And they're very different approaches. Like Shohei Otani, like it look, it's just gone off the bat. Vlad, it's gone off the bat. And Ronald Acuna Jr., it doesn't look like it's going to go. And then in Atlanta, like a ballpark that's not really a great home run ballpark, it's just sailing them out the yard. So I think that's really great. And I'm going to trounce on your wonderful parade from a couple months ago. Gary Sanchez had a, had a pretty good June. Uh, he also had an OPS greater than 100 greater than one, so that's really great for him. The Yankees are still fighting, though, in the AL East. 
I watched a couple Red Sox games a little more intently than I normally would. See what the Blue Jays, they're good. Like the Yankees got a long road ahead of them to kind of compete with those, those teams. Um, and then also the AL East, Tampa Bay got Wander Franco. Uh, and what do you think about all those dynamics in the AL East? I mean, they got, the Yankees got up some pop and then they hit the skids late. And now every other team has like a right to keep going. I mean, the Rays did get swept by the Mariners though. I mean, the Mariners, you know, won the series against the Blue Jays. So um, that's another story to talk about. But um, in terms of AL East, uh, it's very interesting because it seems like, let's start with the Yankees. Yankees cannot beat their AL East opponents at all. Like they lost uh, seven in a row against the Red Sox already. They got swept uh, four game in Fenway this past weekend. Uh, did not look great, especially when your ace got lit up and gave up six runs against the Red Sox. That is not great. Um, great look for the team. And the fact that their offense is not clicking, it's just a bunch of solo home runs. And when there's runners on base, same thing. They cannot score. It's a pop-up, a strikeout, or a double play ground out. So there's just a lot of misfortune. Um, in terms of the dynamic, I think it's just a two-way race at this point. It's the Red Sox and a Rays. Um, Rays are interesting because I think they have a skid right now. The fact that they lost Glass now for pretty much most of the season, so they don't have their ace. Um, so they're relying on their bullpen and they're taxing their bullpen, and that's without Nick Anderson, so that's hurting them. Red Sox, I think they have mediocre pitching, but their hitting is so great that uh, they've been doing well. And the leadership of Alex Cora, like bringing it together, I think that's where the string is going. So it's a tight race still. Um, it depends on what who they add during the trade deadline. Uh, I just don't see the Yankees uh, moving up. I think they're just a poorly, you know, poorly uh, structured roster. Um, well, that's a good spot. point because we saw the faults of the Yankees in that delayed game against the Angels a couple nights ago. So for those who aren't familiar, and this is kind of, I think this was the last, this was June 30th when it happened. The Yankees had a game on a ugly weather day in New York. Game started, Shohei started pitching. And Kazuki's going to get into more about that later. He was awful in his start. I mean, he barely lasted. He didn't even last an inning. Then they had the torrential rain for hours. Then they come back, and the Angels somehow find this zen quality and tie the game on a grand slam in the top of the ninth inning from Jared Walsh. And Michael Kay the Yankees TV broadcaster on yes, just sounds defeatist. I mean, he just sounds like he's been defeated. The Yankees lose the game. Araldis Chasman gets scolded in the, in the media for what his performance. I heard Sarah Lang's MLB during the broadcast. Later on, she was talking about how he just simply has lost it compared to the all happened of years ago. And it was so poignant how she said it. She's like, I've always, I saw Arles Chapman version A. This is not version A. This is the different Arles Chapman. You could think it was about the spin rate. You could think about the sticky stuff. It's been coming for years. And I think that's what you're bringing up. Like they are definitely on the outs. Unless they really put together something pretty spectacular in the last two and a half months of the season. Well, that's the problem. There's no motivation. And if you saw how Steinbrenner is like, you know, like the whole like press where he does it once, like every, like every year or so, um, he said, there's no change in leadership. He has faith in this current regime. 
uh, and they're not like, you know, he blamed on the players. So the fact that he blamed on the players, the morale is just going to be low. And I feel like, like you said, the, Michael K being defeatist, I feel like the Yankees players themselves are playing like defeatists and they know they just are horrible yeah, and they just won't perform because they know they suck. Yeah, it's it's just not not a great scene in, in the Bronx. I mean, Queen is not even that spectacular either, but at least they're competitive. Uh, to talk about teams who are not competitive, the Diamondbacks, I think, won three games on the road in the last 27. They're all by the same pitcher. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> the Orioles are not Orioles. The Orioles are just like the Philip Humberts of baseball right now. It's like you want to like you pitch a no hitter against the Mariners and then be bygone. You're the bygone team. What happened? I mean, that team is just gone from like the face here, other than Cedric Mullins and Trey Mancini. Like, other than that, like I, I don't know what's going on with that team. But I'm curious what happens. I think the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to trade a bunch of players. They're all going to be gone. Just we talk about Cattell Marte being traded. I think there's more players to be gone from that. Roster. I mean, Tim Locastro already got traded to the Yankees uh, as of yesterday. Uh, as of yesterday. All oh, right, there was and there was another trade. Corey Dickerson's gone from the Mar- from the Marlins to the to the Blue Jays. Uh, the Blue Jays. So Blue Jays. The interesting part is they were targeting Adam Simber, and they just took uh, Corey Dickerson as a salary dump from the Marlins, and then the Marlins got Joe Panic. I think now. Yeah, Joe Panic, who was a has been on their team, but was a very vital portion of the Giants World Series squad. Hooray. Joe Penn's a great player, but uh, he's not he's not worth the same value as Corey Dickerson. But we'll see what happens with that. Talk about a stacked outfield for the for the Blue Jays. And you have Grichik, Springer, and now you have Corey Dickerson. I mean, and you're talking about your and Teoscar AL. Hernandez. Yes, exactly. You're an all-star. <laughs> he's an all-star. And so it's what are you gonna do on that team? That team is, I mean, I watched the game when they were playing in Buffalo, and it was interesting. To watch them, they got beat up by the Mariners, but they were. You know, I think that that's what I think was the AL East dynamic. I don't think the Blue Jays will make the playoffs, personally. I think they have the hitting, but the problem is they have no pitching. Like, Right, we, we, we talk about the cliff. Steven Match, Robbie Ray, and then the cliff. And it's just like that's what's going to happen with them. But that's a good point. I'm not sure what's going to happen. About it, but. We ended the month with, according to Kyle Gass, Kyle Gla- Glazer at Bay of Soul America, the top five teams in his power rankings are the Dodgers, Giants, Astros, Padres, and Red Sox. I have no argument with any of those. I still can't believe that three of them are from the same division. I think that it's it's the I think it's also the Giants' division to lose, which sounds kind of strange to say out loud. Yeah, the it's Dodgers, crazy. I mean, the, it's the all Dodgers. veterans carrying everything. <laughs> I mean, they are a bunch. There is a team that... If you look at them, it reminds you of like the reverse of the Marlins when the Marlins were good. Like the Marlins had like a bunch of random players that just had to put together and they made the playoffs. And then the Giants, it's like a bunch of veterans who just randomly ended up on our team. And then Mike Talkman and Buster Posey. But you, rem- you have to remember, you brought up Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford. Like these guys have been there for years. And then they added like a great energizer piece in Vilmer Flores over the years too. And Evan Longoria has been around the league for years. Like you keep building it up. And then their ace is a guy who has been like no named forever, which is Kevin Gossman. He can't get some run support, but other than that, that team is pretty well structured to be good. Question is, will they buy at the trade deadline and picks up some players? Cause I think Mike Todd was a silently, like a very good pick for them because they Bolster Rafi's unfortunately injured right now. But that team, 
I think of those three teams in the, in the NLS, it's most likely to pick up somebody from the trade deadline and make some moves. You know, I 100% agree with Z on that. I think they will buy, but I think it's interesting if you look at who's running that regime right now, it's Farhan Zaidi, who was a former GM of the Dodgers. So he clearly knows who to pick up. Um, uh, and he's a Moneyball era guy, formerly working in Oakland as well. So he knows like how to run a team. And it's just, I, it reminds me of the 2002 Anaheim Angels, personally. Like there's a bunch of no names, but they're pretty good to, you know, replacement level players. Or young guys who were like journeymen who got better because of like certain changes in mechanics and whatnot. Like who talks about Steven Duggar? Like that's a no name right there. Like Alex Dickerson. Uh, Yaz was a journeyman who's been blossoming recently in his 30s. And then yeah, Wade Jr. Like these random names surrounding the whole Wade like Jr. Made that great play with Johnny Cueto and they lost against the Dimebacks. But yeah, like, the, like they find a way to make it happen. And Cueto was out for a while too, so their their whole pitching has been up and down a little bit too. But I think that team is interesting. The Padres, if they can find that that power again, because Slam Diego, when Slam Diego is on, and that's Tatis, Cronenworth, Machado, that whole run of players, it's lights out for anything that walks in the Petco Park. Uh, yeah, Dodge- I think Padres, I think the issue is it's too top heavy, right? Like, you know, you rely on Machado and Tatis. If they're not really carrying the team, like, it's going to collapse, like, even though Myers, Hosmer, Cronenworth did so well last season, this season, they've been just okay. You know, Cronenworth has been great, but everyone else, like, I think was injury bug uh, and the pitching, I think, isn't holding up as expected. Like, you got Darvish and Musgrove, but Snell has been horrible this year. So, like, I think the pitching, on top of pitching kind of collapsing and then your bullpen's kind of all over the place, like, that's what's kind of not carrying the team. I think the difference in all of this division is, I think, pitching, because Giants pitching, you have Alex Wood. Jake McGee, both Dodge, former Dodger, and then Tyler Rogers, a great setup guy, closer. I guess, I guess co-closer was McGee. And then you have Aaron Sanchez out of nowhere. Like, he has such a weirdly stacked, good pitch, exactly. sneaky good pitching. I think to close and to kind of bring everything kind of together about the missing players players in the All-Star game, what we know so far, I think the Dodgers, Padres, and the Giants are going to fill out the pitching in the, in the reserves better than any other team. I, that's what my, my suspicions are, just because none of them really lit up the board in terms of the final starters. But if I'm a coach for the all-star team, I'm I'm going, I'm going to litter their rosters and just pick everyone I could. Other than like the team has to pick up, you still have to pick one player from every team, correct? That's still the rule. Yeah, I think you still have to have a representative. Right, like I, I, I'm curious to see who they pick from like the Marlins or the Mariners. We really have well, like, Marlins, you know, there's only one, uh, one or two guy, uh, Tyler, Ro- uh, uh, no, not Tyler Rogers, Trevor Rogers and uh, Sandy Alcantara. Right. There you go. Um, but it's going to be interesting, like who they pick up from the Rangers, they pick up from all other teams. But I think the Giants and the Dodgers and the Padres, even the Reds, I think Alex Verdugo has a shot to being in the, being in the roster too. I mean, the Astros, I don't want to talk about the Astros because I don't, I just don't think I don't like them. Though Michael Brantley had a great month. I'll say that. I'm and curious Altuve's been hitting a lot right. of Altuve home runs. a grand slam against Cleveland the other night, which is like, oh, they barely left the park. It was really interesting. Coming up after the break, we'll discuss Kyle Schwarber's hot June, Shohei Otani having a great June too, Garrett Richards falling off, and then some great songs from our friends up north.
Home Run Derby news in Colorado. Shohei Otani is going to take part in the Home Run Derby. Yeah! It's going to happen. Welcome back, everyone. We're going to get into our final three segments of the show. Oh, final four segments. I take that back. There's always the extra innings. I can't forget those. So the tip of the cap. So the players that we thought did quite well in the past couple of weeks. I'll start. And I said it earlier. And I was just marveled at the see you later calls from the Washington Nationals radio and TV broadcast networks. Kyle Schwarber. From June 12th on, he hit 16 home runs in the month. And that was in 18 games and 75 plate appearances. So do the math on those averages. And that's just out of, out of control. He alone hit more home runs from June 12th through June 29th than several teams. Namely, Marlins, Royals, Diamondbacks, White Sox. That surprised me. Pirates and Cardinals. Just unbelievable. However, the fun fact is he only hit singles and home runs the entire month. It was feast or famine which is interesting for the entire month, 16 home runs, 30 RBIs, a 280 batting average, which is that's for my, I'm going to catch that one there. 362 on base, 760 slugging combined for 1.122 OPS. He only had 28 total hits for the month. Wow. <laughs> and more than half his home runs. Uh, thanks to baseball reference and Charles Curtis from USA Today's for the win all these fun little nuggets about Kyle Schwarber and Kazuki, who has been waiting, I presume, since the day we started working together to, to mention his name as a as a tip of the cap player of the week type, Shohei Otani. Talk about Shohei in the last couple. Man, um, you know, I've been waiting for this moment, even like just ever since he came to the majors in 2018. Like we wanted to be positive and want to talk about it. He had his struggles, but he's finally here, man. Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Um, entering today, even after the dud start uh, against the Yankees, where he gave up uh, seven earned runs in two thirds of the inning, uh, even including that, he has been amazing this whole season. I mean, wow, like this is what we expected when he came to the US. So he's currently hitting 277, 74 for 267, was 28 home runs, major league leading, 63 RBIs, four triples, also major league leading. So he has a total of 4.8 wins above replacement which is very, very high. He's on pace for at least eight or nine, so an MVP season. And his slacking right now is at 685, was an OPS of 1.045, and MLB leading 49 extra base hits in 74 games. Like, wow. That's like, wow. But not only is he a great hitter, he's been also a good pitcher. Even was that start, he has a record of 3-1, and one, was a 3.6 ERA, 12 games started, 83 Ks in 60 innings, it was 128 ERA plus, even was that dud, yes. And for the month of June, he hit 313 with six doubles, one triple, 16 walks, 23 RBIs, and four stolen bases in 24 games. Like, my oh my, he's been so great this year. Um, Joey Otani's my pick. Uh, absolutely. Like, it was, it was due at some point for him to be mentioned as one of our picks for this, this segment. It was interesting to watch him play in New York City. Just because I think this was the first time he got to play in New York City since obviously 2019, at least. And the like that first home run, it just sent like a shockwave. Because I remember the team did the team is not great overall. But when he is up to bat, it's must-watch television. It's must-listen radio. Like you gotta pay attention to him. And those stats are just off the charts for the season. So I would say 
it's interesting to see what he's been doing without Mike Trout. His MVP caliber numbers, I don't know. But so far, he has definitely been a guiding light for that team and the whole league as a entire Major League Baseball. But given the hook, I'm going to let you go first on this one because mine is not a player. Uh, it's a concept. So I, I need a little more time to, ex- to explain it. But you brought up a pitcher, and you mentioned to me before we recorded today how people have been tracking the changes in spin rate with certain pitchers. We obviously talk about Garrett Cole, but there's another pitcher from another AL East team who has seen a significant change from before the new guidelines till after. So what can you tell us about Garrett Richards? Yeah, so he is one of the most uh, open person to say that he was using a sticky substance to the media and saying how he's been adjusting. Uh, He's might give him a hook because uh, he's been horrible um, lately, especially since the whole uh, memo came out from the MLB about the sticky substance. So overall, this year, he started 16 games, was a 4-5 and record, was a 4.96 ERA and a 1.69 whip. Very ugly numbers. It was a 67 Ks and 81 and two-thirds innings. So before all of this memo and the sticky substance, so he was part of that spin rate revol- revolution, which is why I think Heim Bloom, the GM, the Red Sox, originally signed him into a one-year deal, was an exorbitant amount of money. Uh, before that whole memo came out, he had a 3.88 ERA, was four quality starts, while posting 2.89 ERA nine starts from mid-April to early June, right before that memo came out. And since the memo, what happened? He has a 17 earned run and 16 and two-thirds innings. So we're talking about 9.18 ERA during that time frame with six home runs given up and seven walks. And the reason to why he is declining so rapidly is because his spin rate dropped on all of his pitches. His signature pitch and curveball, it dropped by 505 RPM. That is awful. And his fastball dropped by 255 RPM and his slider by 210 RPM. So the fact that all three of his main arsenal dropped and not, it's not effective anymore, what is the Red Sox going to do? Like, I know he's making adjustments here and there, but like, they need another guy who could start well. Like, and was a Hulk, you know, being injured. Like, they don't have anyone else to replace him. So they just have to keep on throwing him out there. But he's going to be a liability for that team. That, that's an interesting concept. Is, are there pitchers now who are just liabilities for teams? And Gary Richards definitely is leading to the fact that he might be one. Uh, um, I'm nervous for them. I think that's a good way of putting it for that sense. That's an interesting one, though. I didn't really realize like how you could do calculate the spin rate. That was obviously how the, tr- the track data. Interesting. But thank you for sharing that. Uh, my pick for giving the hook uh, happened yesterday, July 1st. Uh, name, image, and likeness regulations were suspended by the NCAA. So for what that means is there is a famous court case where Ed O'Bannon, who was an NCAA basketball player, wanted to make money off the fact that his name and likeness was used in video games. NCLA said, you're an amateur now, do that. Well, Supreme Court famously just railed that through and said, no, you can't do that anymore. Um, and basically said that, like, in no other industry is this permissible. How can you guys get away with it? And then July 1st, a bunch of states had their own legislation come into play, whereas college athlete can make money. So the NCAA formally suspended all name and likeness rules. And then as midnight ticked on July 1st, athletes across all sports of all popularity levels, mainly ones who had great social media followings to start, really got picked up real quick with sponsorships. 
There's a pair of twin sisters from Fresno State basketball that got huge sponsors from Boost Mobile, normally. Um, Bo Nix, who's the starting quarterback at Auburn, got a sponsor with a T brand. There's a player and his dog who got one from PetSmart. I mean, there's all sorts of things. But what I will bring about this with the baseball is the way that MLB drafts college baseball players. And I'll say this openly to start. I think the suspension of NIL rules will benefit female athletes better than male athletes because the professional aspirations are limited for female athletes currently, which is another discussion. But female athletes can, I think, have a greater opportunity and greater ability to market themselves using the platform, using the using what is generally going to be seen by brands who are one of part of college athletes. That's like these ambassador type roles. But when it comes to college baseball, particularly, when you think about college baseball, you're drafted, you're drafted out of high school as a senior or after your, generally after your third year, you're, you're a junior, which follows the same idea that hockey does. In hockey, you can either get drafted, I think, as you turn 18, after you finish prep or your PG, your post-grad year, after juniors, or when you're in college for three years or some like semi-pro league, like the, like the OHO, Ontario Hockey League, which is a professional league in Ontario for people who are like 17 to 20. What happens in baseball, though it's different than hockey, is in hockey, you retain your draft rights between the time you're drafted the first time up until you're drafted eligible the second time. In baseball, you don't. So if you get drafted and decide to go to college, you lose your spot. So you can obviously go up. But we all have this, we all know that minor league baseball salaries stink. And they are terrible unless you're like the first or second round pick. So if I'm a baseball player, I'm going to use the Mississippi State Bulldogs as an example. They're the best thing ever in the state of Mississippi right now. I'll take every sponsorship deal I can get an endorsement deal because I guarantee you that plays better than when I would get drafted in the draft if I'm like the background catcher, the backup catcher, because you're the best thing in Starksville. So I think I have this belief that we're going to see the whole evaluation and prospect process in baseball be completely upheavaled because the fact that like Texas A&M, SEC baseball type players, players from teams that are like Mountain West Conference. There's a player this year out of Santa, UC Santa Barbara, who's a big D, going to get drafted, they think pretty highly, or out of Fordham. Like in their little worlds, they are a celebrity. And their value, I think, is greater to them as an endorsement deal than like an, a Miley baseball player. So I think that the whole, that whole process is gone. Like there is something that would be completely changed. I think the CBA for baseball for, for ML, and that in this is completely changed. That's my give them the hook. Cause literally I think this is the last regular draft we've seen for years. I think something great is going to change going forward because unless Miley baseball is paying players more money overall, I can make more money, sign a deal with the local car dealership. Right. And then have a livable wage and not have to like share like, with four other players in a small, tiny apartment. Oh, yeah. Like, we, we talk about the food and everything. It's like one deal from the local car dealership. Like, I remember the whole Friday Night Lights concept. It's like the high school player, if he could get Mike money off his image and likeness, could sell cars, like, from the, the, lo- the local Ford dealer, local Chevy dealer. Now, imagine you do that with a Texas A&M baseball player. Big school, lot of brand power, SEC school. So they have a lot of like they're gonna they're gonna obviously have a lot of facilities available to them originally, and now this, 
or even better, go down to a lower tier school like a Houston or a Dallas Baptist in Texas. Same concept. I can make more money being an endorsed, being an ambassador for a local business than that or a local national business. So I'll leave it at that. But I'm generally curious what's going to happen. Uh, we've always seen, like I said, a lot of deals have gone through. So we'll conclude with the Evan the Hooks. And now to our three triple play of rock up songs of the show. A little bit of background on this. Montreal Canadiens and the NHL have made the Stanley Cup finals. As we said, it's before game three. They're down 2-0. I don't care. The fact that Canada, the O Canada is saying at a Stanley Cup final right now is just incredible. So I use this as an excuse to find three songs by Canadian artists for songs that I would hope would be used in a baseball game because right now there's no baseball being played in Canada. Now, as also a disclaimer, I ignored certain popular artists as I was going through my song selection. So Celine Dion, Justin Bieber, Aubrey Graham, who the world knows as Drake or Jimmy from Degrassi, because that was a trivia question that I got and got free dinner one time. The Weeknd, Avril Lavigne, and of course, everyone's favorite, Nickelback. I've avoided all of those. I will also say that when I originally created this segment, I tried my darndest to get Lindsay L, who is a fantastic country music artist from Calgary as my one pick. I just couldn't find a song that really fit my, my goals. So with that, I will start with someone from Calgary, uh, a song called Closer by Tegan and Sarah, which is a pair of sisters from Calgary. This song was released in 2012. It's their basically their one hit wonder of significance in a u.s airplay songs off their uh off their album heartthrob it's a synth pop song chart performance it was certified gold in the u.s certified platinum in canada it was the number one dance song in the u.s uh when it was released in 2012 uh and kazuki as our resident movie expert they were also the voice of the song everything is awesome from the lego movie so everything is awesome was done with them uh, and that song also has a wonderful connection. Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, who has been around everything and then some, uh, also a member of the nominated Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band Devo, worked on that project. So they have been involved in a lot of great things. But Closer, when you hear that song, it has a great intro. And it just sounds like a song from like a really happy song that I would imagine that maybe in, maybe in a, in a Rogers, uh, Rogers Skydome game we played. Um, my next song is from Winnipeg, Manitoba, the nicest city in the in the Canada, but also the coldest city in Canada. Uh, and this song was also inspired by the fact that when I saw Matt Scherzer and Sojo Romo just get just start yelling at umps, I thought about they got no time for this. And then I saw the song No Time by the Guess Who, which was released in 1969, uh, written by Randy Bachman and Burton Cummings. Randy Bachman, same name of Bachman Turner Overdrive, which is the great song taking care of business. No Time was originally recorded for an album called Canned Wheat in 1969, but it was re-recorded for the album American Woman in 1969, 1970. It was peak at number five in the US, it was also part of a string of three number one songs for the band in their native Canada, which is really cool. Uh, but if you, as you listen to that song, it just sits well with like a song you would play when like the home team is really pissed off at the umpire. And I think I imagine like, well, well, I have a spoiler. I am setting up my song list now for the trade deadline special we're going to do. And oh, the songs for that are just like this, like 
really good trade deadline song. This sounds like a situational song. And the last song uh, is a special one. Going to Ajax, Ontario, suburb of Toronto. For those of us who of a certain age remember a thing called Vans Warp Tour, early 2000s, really popular traveling concert circuit around the United States and Canada. There was a band that I particularly enjoyed in my angsty teenage years called Sum 41 from Ajax, Ontario. And their song, In Too Deep, released on September 25th, 2001. That song regained a certain degree of popularity because in the movie Clouds, which is on Disney Plus, the main character gets a convertible and he drives it with his dad. And the song they blast on the radio is this song. And it's a great song. Um, the band filmed this, I believe, in Los Angeles, but they are, if you listen to them talk, they sound like they sound like a bunch of fun guys from Ajax, Ontario. Like they speak so proudly of their, of their time in Canada. It's a pop punk song, early 2000s. It was covered again by several bands thereafter. It's off their album, All Killer, No Filler, which is also a great name. Uh, Fat Lip is another song off that album. Uh, it came around the same era as Stacy's Mom, which we talked about last week. It's a song that it, it hits differently in a, probably a hockey arena, but in baseball, like it's a song that everyone can kind of get behind, and I can imagine like that's going to happen. So those are my three songs from our great friends up north. Uh, like I said, next episode for Trade Deadline, I'm working on songs all about the worst thing about Trade Deadline, breakups. So we'll talk about, we're talking about breakups next time. Uh, that will conclude our regular segments, and we'll conclude with a little bit of a special, a little bit larger extra innings this time around. The next innings, we're going to talk about Prospect Watch in terms of two different venues, the first being the Futures game. For those who are a little unfamiliar, the Futures game is a selection of individuals from, it used to be world versus US, now it's American League team versus National League team. So the parent club will then have up to a certain number of players picked and will join, they'll play in a basically a all around minor league all-star game, regardless of their division. A lot of names of note here. I will start off with one that's very interesting. That's Jason Dominguez of the rookie team, rookie able for the New York Yankees. It's the first time ever that a player from this lowest league in minor league baseball has been selected, which is really interesting. Uh, but other names that are involved, Spencer Torkelson, who was a number one draft pick, AAA at Detroit, Bobby Witt Jr., who everyone thought would make the roster for Kansas City, AA in Kansas City, he's getting picked. Uh, Luis Medina of the Yankees, Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Emerson Hancock of the Mariners, and that's a High A, High A, and a Triple A. I go in reverse order. Uh, Jeter Downs, Brett Beatty of the Mets. So Jeter Downs of the Boston of the the Woo Sox. Uh, Brett Beatty of the Mets in their High A system. Shane Baz and Vidal. You're have to get me on this one. Vidal Bruhan of the Tampa Bay Rays, both Triple A players. Ali Rutschman, Baltimore pick. He's in. And Austin Martin of Toronto is also in. So a lot of very well-known names in minor league baseball. I would say the player I'm looking forward to the most watching is Bobby Witt Jr. Because everyone thought he'd make the team. And basically, Kansas City said, not yet. Just cut it. Um, I'm curious to see that. And Brett Beatty's a big talk around here in New York. So I'm curious to see what, they, what all they say about him. Those are, my, those are my initial thoughts. What about you? 
I like Jeter Downs. I think I'm interested to see how this Mookie Betts uh, trade will hold off. Like so far, we've seen two players like playing the majors now was uh, Alex Verdugo and Connor Wong, who made his uh, debut in the Yankee series. So looks great so far. So um, I'm curious to see how Jeter Downs will do. And who knows, that trade might end up being one of the Red Sox's best trade, despite, you know, trading away a generational talent. Like he got three great players back in return. So I'm interested in that. And you know, we always got to be interested in the Tampa Bay, like prospects, Shane Baz and Vidal Brujan, like those two are probably going to come up in the majors like this year's and might help out with a playoff push. So who knows? So I think those are my pick. And one of them being a pitcher is very important because exactly. what do they need right now? Pitching. Uh, so I'm curious about pitchers because usually pitchers will come up in September. Yeah. And they might be on the playoff roster. Like, and I think last year, especially, I mean, last year was kind of a weird year, but you had like a bunch of rookie, like, you know, debuting in the middle of the playoffs. So, you know, we will see a lot of those. That's how we all learned about who Dustin May was. He was in the playoffs, but Dustin May was, you know, who Dustin May was. And all of a sudden that game that we talked with Skyler about where he was just showed up on the, as the, as the opening day starter in 2020. And wow, he was everywhere from that whole season. He came back throughout the entire year. So Interesting to talk about. So I'm curious how that's going to go. That will be, I believe, on Sunday of All-Star Weekend. And then the same day, it's the first on MLB Draft. And MLB Draft is going to be interesting. Not because of what I said earlier, but of who's going to get picked. Because we saw two players from the same team in the College World Series that could go in the first round, be the first 12 overall picks in some cases, some people suspect. And that's the pitching duo of Jack Leiter, son of Al Leiter, and Kumar Rocker. I don't know if they're both going to go in the first, get both go, well, one, two. I think I've seen them as low as like eight, nine, as high as two, three. So we'll see. But the draft is definitely dominated by a round of high schools, which always happens. But I'm curious to see what really is going to go on here. Uh, but the draft being as late as it is this year, we got a full f- look at college players we got a somewhat full look at high school players on less familiar with them overall. But we'll see what's going to happen because Pittsburgh Pirates are the number one pick. And based on the speed of what we've seen players come up recently, might not be too long if they're doing quite well. So I think that's what I'm more curious about now is we've seen them come up quicker than we normally would. And they're a little bit older and wiser, maybe because of that one year they had because of the suspended college season or somewhat suspended high school seasons. I don't know. That's how I look at the draft this year. So what do you think about what anything, any, any initial thoughts on the draft? As we look forward to it. I'm looking forward to all the college world series uh, players being uh, drafted. I think Kamar Rocker is going to be drafted way ahead of Jack Leiter, uh, just based on speculation. I think that's my guess. And there's a likely chance. I think the Pittsburgh pirates pick him first. That would be kind of like the steal of steals. I saw an interesting thing about, like I said, there's a player from a pitcher from University of California, Santa Barbara. I believe someone, um, MLB Network mentioned a player from Fordham up here in Bronx. It's a it's a total game to just draft players. I mean, they're going to announce their top hundred prospects later this week. I think Rocker and Light are definitely the class of the draft in terms of pitching. Where they go, I don't know. And I think my bet is based on how the speed of like, you know, pitchers going up in the system, especially college like players, I think they could be up by like next year, like end of next year. Well, on that note, uh, I, all I can say is anchor down 
and to our to our friends from Nashville and the Vanderbilt Commodores, even though they did lose to the Bulldogs and Starks in Starkville. So shouts to Stark Vegas because that that city is on a just another planet right now for winning the World College World Series. That'll conclude it for today's episode, everybody. Uh, like I said, enjoy the baseball, enjoy the all-star game, the draft, the futures game. Uh, we'll be back right after that in two weeks. We'll recap all of that. And then we'll also, we our last episode formally, we'll have a full release before the trade deadline. We'll have some more thoughts on that as we prepare for the second half of MLB season. Have a good couple of weeks and we'll see you soon. That's it for this episode of Center Baseball. This episode of Center Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Kiba and Brandon Beiser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Kiba with additional research by Brandon Beiser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Center Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Kiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Art Baseball.